welcome to K-Drama School. I am hanging out with a dog. I don't know if you can see. There you go, that's Dev, Dev the dog. And uh, it's this really pretty house in Sherman Oaks. I realized that I've been dog sitting for this household since like late 2019 or early 2020. And um, you know, a lot has changed and not a lot has changed. I mean, not a lot has changed in the sense that I am still dog sitting every once in a while. Uh, what has changed is that I'm not sure if I want to continue dog sitting, you know? It's like, I would rather have a dog of my own and a house of my own to look after. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's changing. And uh, I also didn't realize like how, you know, how much energy dog sitting actually eats up. I don't know if any of you guys dog sit. I don't dog sit often or pet sit often. I'll pet sit if I want to go hang out at that house, you know? So it's more like an exchange, like, oh, like I want to go hang out in that space. And if there's an animal, okay, I'll care for it. But it's not just this passive thing. Like I'm thinking about the dog's needs all the time, you know, like she needs to go out three times a day. Each time I go out, like we go for a really long walk each time. And uh, that does take energy that does drain some of my energy also thinking about another living being and meeting all of their needs that eats up energy so i was just really exhausted yesterday yeah it was like day two of looking after her and i was just like really exhausted so i just i think i slept for like 10 hours or something so if you're a dog sitter or a pet sitter i feel for you and you are not wrong if you feel like that is a taxing act. It is. It's definitely draining. It does drain the energy. Overall, this is like not a bad weekend. I'm enjoying my weekend, but I'm, I'm trying to level up. I guess that's what I'm saying. I'm learning ways to level up. And one of the ways of leveling up is to say, no, I can't look after your dog this time because I'd rather put my energies into getting a dog of my own and a house of my own. <laughs> I think that makes sense, right? I started reading up on quantum physics lately and I think I wanna read more about quantum physics. I'm also reading some books about anger and spirituality. And I think these are all sort of helping me like strengthen parts of me that I feel like I'm weak at, you know? As in like parts of me that I don't fully trust. So for instance, like, during therapy, I was negotiating or debating like whether or not me reacting to a certain delay from a certain journal, why am I even being vague? Let me just get into it. All right, so I submitted to this journal, which is like a, a pretty prestigious journal. I submitted to this journal last year in March. So March, 2022, I submitted an article to this journal. And usually a peer-reviewed journal will respond within three months time and let you know whether or not the, the peer review was an okay or a pass. Like meaning, will they continue to edit this and publish it or will they just say no? Like this is not a publishable work or it's just not a good fit. And uh, after three months, what they said was, um, can you please submit a bibliography? Like your article seems very interesting. Can you please submit a bibliography? So I did. And then, right, so that was June, 2022. And then I never heard from them again. Yeah, so they've been hanging on to my article for over a year. Yeah, 
over one year they've been holding on to my article. So like a week ago, I just kind of got annoyed and I was like, hey, like, let me get an ETA on when this is going to be approved or like, where, where are we at with the peer review? And the editor is just like, yeah, it hasn't even been peer reviewed yet. So this article has been sitting on his desk, not being sent to peer reviewers, or it's like in limbo somewhere. And I haven't been getting any updates. I don't even know if this article is going to be published or not by this journal. And there's something really like unethical about that because hello, it's like, this article could have been sent to a different journal for consideration, right? And now it's just sitting with them, like on their desk forever to be. So I was just like, listen, I need an ETA. I need a firm ETA. And if I don't get that, then like, you know, I mean, I didn't give them ultimatum. I was just like, I need a firm ETA. So they were like, you know, this is a big problem in arts and humanities. And like articles don't get published within like three to five years time. And I'm like, hold on, <laughs> because... I've uh, published articles in three other journals and none of them took three years. Yeah, they would take a year and a half to two years maximum. Okay, so three to five years and him trying to generalize and say that this is how it is? No fucking way. He's just deflecting the fact that perhaps he's not a good enough editor. Yeah, perhaps he has, you know, time management issues, right? Deflecting all of those things. And I'm just like, bro, I am withdrawing my article from consideration due to gross delays. That's what I said. Yeah. I mean, I didn't say bro, but you know, it's implied. And uh, I was like debating whether or not this was the right move after I made this decision, which was in part, you know, motivated by impatience and anger. But I feel like it was due impatience and anger, right? Because hello, like fucking 14 months 14 to 13 months of sitting on my article without any progress, that's fucked up, right? Especially for like younger academics whose, you know, publications mean a lot to them. I mean, that's their cultural currency or academic currency. And for them to just sit on it and be like not mindful of what this might mean for a younger academic. So I was just like in therapy, I was just kind of questioning this decision. But then my doctor made these really helpful, um, I don't know, observations. Like she was just like, well, you're very sensitive to things like untimeliness and you're sensitive to injustice. So your reaction is valid because of your sensitivity to these things. And whereas I was thinking about my insensitivity from a place of like pathology or a place of self-blame, you know, a place of like, self-criticism she was trying to shift my self-perception and say like well i am thinking and feeling this way because of its validity because it is perhaps necessary and that perhaps my reaction my reaction to these uh events are not at all uh overreactive or uncalled for right because it's not like i was you know flipping tables and cursing him off and telling him to go fuck go fuck himself or, you know, fuck his mom. I didn't say any of that shit, you know? I just, I was firm and assertive. I just said I'm withdrawing my article from consideration due to gross delays. And I feel like that's polite enough. In fact, I feel like that's like the perfect way to uh, end that 
conversation. And this guy, he was like, well, I respect your decision, but can you please uh, reconsider staying with us? I'm like, clearly you don't respect my decision, bro, because you're asking me to stay when I'm like, no, there's no ring on this finger, is there? This is not a marriage proposal, is it? No, it's like, you're asking me to continue to stay with you, hoping that it will find another peer reviewer. No, no, forget that. You've had your chance for 15 months. And I feel like that's too long, right? In any case, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, trust your feelings, trust your feelings, trust your thoughts. You know, it's not like you don't do the work. It's not like you're some uh, unreliable idiot. You're not, right? Like you are a mindful being. You are an aware person. You are a considerate person. You're somebody who has patience. You're somebody who considers all of it, right? And I don't for a second blame him personally. I do believe that he is trying his absolute best. I fully believe that. But is it enough for me? No, it isn't. So I got to move on. So I just, you know, withdrew and I submitted the article elsewhere. There we go. So there, there, there it is. There's the rub. Huh? You guys, uh, today's show that I'm going to be discussing is Mr. Queen. And this is a show that I was kind of avoiding for a while. It's not because the show is bad. In fact, this show is considered one of the highest rated shows among cable TV shows um, in, in Korea, domestically. Yeah, the viewers love this show. And it's not just a domestic thing. Like when I was teaching that K-drama class at UCLA, a lot of my students were telling me to watch Mr. Queen. And I think at the time I didn't see it because it was not on Netflix. I think it was on, uh, or was it on Netflix? No, I don't think it was on Netflix at the time. I think it was on Vicky. No, was it on Netflix? Whatever. Why the fuck does it matter? It doesn't matter. I just didn't, it did not draw me, okay? Like the actress who's in it, what's her face? Kim Hyesun? Is it Kim Hyesun? Where is she? No, Shin Hyesun. Yeah. The actress, Shin Hyesun, like she's somebody I've seen in plenty of other shows, like Oh My Ghostess. She was also in She Was Pretty. She was also in The Legend of the Blue Sea. And in none of those shows was she a lead. She was always playing the supporting role, you know, and, and like the the bitch, the bitch girl, the saboteur lady, right? And I was just like, okay, like she's all right. Oh wait, no, in My Ghostess, she was not, Oh My Ghostess, she was not playing the bitch girl. She was playing the younger sister to the arrogant chef. But like, there was there wasn't anything about her that drew me. Okay, there wasn't anything about her that was like, oh, she has flavor, she's got spice. I was just like, whatever, she's just a whatever actress. She's not even that hot, she's just like very whatever. But then in Mr. Queen, she's playing the lead and she really gets to spread her wings and she's actually pretty funny. Yeah, like especially when she first wakes up in that woman's body and she's like looking for her penis. I thought it was really funny. She has a very good sense of physical comedy and I'm like, all right, Shinezon, like I see you, you got this, right? The way she sits down like a man, the way she eats like a man, the way she speaks informally to the king, all of those things to me are funny because she's behaving in what would be considered abnormal, what would be considered absurd for a woman in the Joseon dynasty era to, to be. Like a, a woman in the Joseon dynasty, especially a queen, she would not be talking informally to the king. She would not be sitting with her legs spread wide open. You know, she wouldn't be like uh, flaunting her freedom or being herself in any way. No, she would not do that, right? Like, gotta stick to the rigidity, to the ritual, to the rules, to tradition, abide, go by whatever other people say. Like, that's the role of a queen. And 
I think the show exhibits these traits through the queen, who is embodied th uh, through the through the embodiment of a queen, which is actually like a chef's soul, right? Like a male chef's soul from the 21st century. Like, how would a queen's life look when it's bound by these rigidities, but she's constantly looking to break out of them, right? Through this male soul, through the man's soul, the 21st century male soul that is dwelling within this queen. Like, what's going on? How would that how would that tension, the push and pull of that, exhibit these weird scenarios? And it does a lot of that. I think the show also explores trans queerness. And we've talked about this when I was talking about, uh, what is it? The King's Affair? What was that show? <laughs> it's like a different show where like the king was a woman. You know, that's trans queerness, right? When the gender identity of a being is like not quite certain. And in this case, it's like, okay, the queen is a woman. She's a, it's a woman's body, but a man's soul is dwelling in it. But it's not just the man's soul. Like the queen's original soul is also dwelling in it. So there's like two, there's like dual souls in this one woman's body. And within this embodiment, like the male chef is lusting after other women in the royal court. And then in the queen's soul she's lusting after the king who is a man so there's like this sexual fluidity through this one character who's embodying two souls right although one surfaces more often than the other wherever there's a, a character who plays gender swapping in k-dramas i feel like that show tends to do well and mr queen is one example secret garden is another example that show was super popular and it's when uh, you know the man and the woman's bodies were switched and I think part of the reason why these shows do so well is because of that trans queer element of course you have the humor part right it's like okay there's gender swapping and there's always going to be like a comedic aspect because it's a breaking down of you know gender norms as we see it or as we believe it and then the show is breaking those gender norms and it's like that becomes the comedy okay but I think some of this is also through the curiosity of the audiences like oh the, the like the, a show like this would scratch at the curiosity of audiences when they wonder like oh um what about this kind of queerness what about what about this kind of queerness like queerness not only in the sense of gender swapping and gender role playing but also like when it's two souls dwelling in one body that's a queerness when it's a different time era right when it's a man from the 21st century dwelling in the body of a queen from the chosen dynasty era that's a that's a time space queering and then you have the queering of how do you say like familiarity okay queering of history yeah like what this what this male chef does is he he introduces the chosen dynasty to all these new things like mcdonald's or ramyeon right and it, it just shifts the history in a in a weird way so i feel like there's a multiple layer of queerness that's happening through the show at, all, at one time there's also a question of privilege right like a man in the 21st century a Korean man of the 21st century in South Korea. He has a lot of privileges. Yes, he's a chef, he's a good looking guy, he has a lot of power. Uh, he has his problems, but he's ultimately part of the patriarchy, right? And it's like, oh, what happens when a man like that is stuck in a queen's body in the Chosun dynasty? And a queen doesn't have much power, 
I think that's what the show is also exploring. It's like, okay, a queen is a privileged title. It seems powerful, but she doesn't have any power. She doesn't have any say whatsoever. She's just a pawn in the scheme of all the politicians who are in that court, including her father, right? Her father is constantly like, he's so like greed oriented and material oriented. And at one point she does confront him and say like, it's your greed that got me thrown into the lake, right? I also thought it was really funny when the queen starts noticing how everybody at the palace keeps saying like, please kill them. Like they're, they're always saying like, you know, which means like, please kill me. And it's like, and it's a phrase that these, uh, you know, royal court people say to show deference and humility to the royal family. But she notes how frequently these people devalue their own lives over the sake of something that doesn't require death. You know, like slighting the royal family in the smallest way or not at all. And they just feel it. They just feel like what they've done is so horrendous that they feel like they need to go and die. Yeah. And she's just like, why are you also suicidal? You know, so this is there is like a, an exposition of that, too. Like they're sort of revealing like, oh, you guys all devalue your own lives for the sake of nothing. This royal family is not nothing. This is a, an illusion. It's a creation. It means nothing. Right. I think the show is very progressive in having this trans queer character, but the show also exhibits homophobia. Like when the queen wakes up the morning after having sex with the king and she's like freaking out. And it's not like she didn't have any agency the night before. It's not like she wasn't making moves. She was fully aware, right? So it's like, what's with the screaming the morning after? You know, it's like, it, it's happened. The deed is done and you were part of the deed. Like stop playing, stop being so coy, you know? I thought it was funny how the show also includes uh, elements or aspects of incest, right? Like the queen and her cousin are kissing cousins. Like, girl, oh my gosh, what? What is happening? Go, that's funny. That's crazy. Yeah, that's like a very classic soap opera quality, right? To have an aspect of incest. I'm like, yeah, you go. That, this is fun. This is entertaining. Mr. Queen also has an element that I see throughout all K-dramas. Almost all K-dramas always have this, and that is a question of free will, okay? The king struggles with recurring nightmares that he's like a puppet with these strings pulling on him. So this is a, a nightmare that is speaking to his own lack of agency as a king and, you know, not trusting his people and how they treat him. But the queen also has struggles with agency, right? Like... She knows that she's a mere pawn in the political struggles of the people who surround her. And she's also struggling with the fact that the body is not her own, right? I thought the ending was very interesting, how the queen takes measures to reform laws pertaining to women in the royal court, like the right to be married after age 18 or prohibiting girls under age 10 from joining the court to serve as a means to protect the children, right? In this way, the show exhibits feminist values, and I thought that was pretty, pretty rad, pretty good. And I love the scenes when the queen goes into the kitchen and cooks meals. Yeah, like this kind of harkens to a classic K-drama called Tejanggum uh, or The Jewel in the Palace, which is like, I think it's like over a hundred episodes, but it's worth watching. It is worth seeing if you have not seen Jewel in the Palace, I highly recommend it. And that show is very famous for putting Hallyu foods on the map, making Korean food global. Yeah, like starting with Asia, yeah. It's a really good show. Um, everybody loves that actress, Youngie. 
and the show was a huge sensation because it showed Korean food as medicine. Yeah. But on this show, although it's appropriating aspects of Daejanggum with the whole like cooking in the kitchen and like, you know, changing the the worldview and the perspective or the emotions or the minds of these like royal people who are stubborn and rigid in their thinking. It's like, oh no, I can I can get to them through their stomachs, through their taste buds. While Daejanggum was all about health, it was like a health-oriented thing and a well-being thing. This show, it's more about pleasure. Indulge in pleasure. Indulge in fried foods. Like this fried potato tastes really good. This McDonald's sandwich tastes really good. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with health, all to do with vice and pleasure. And that's another radical thing about this show. So I thought that was super funny. So yeah, Mr. Queen, I, I'm on board.